Amen. Thank you, Adrian. Uh, welcome, Westview. So for those who don't know me, my name is Jeff T. I'm a, the next-gen pastor here at Westview. This is my second time sharing the gospel in, uh, in tongue, <laughs> just because I'm a French speaker. So for me, it's, it's all um, a challenge for me every, every, time, every time that I come in the front of people and speak in English. But one of the things that I like is I, I got a thirst for preaching. And I think it's a gift from God. And this morning, um, inviting him just to use me uh, to share uh, his love. And I'm really excited because this morning I got the opportunity to share during uh, the Advent, during a Christmas time. So I'm really blessed. And uh, just before to start, I have a kind of, of story. You will learn about me. You, you, will, you will know me by time, by story that I'm going to share about me. So um, last year, I was singing in, in the choir, in the gospel choir. And I think, I think it was in February, we had to uh, go in the jail and singing for women. And that was, for the most of people in the choir, something really new, right? I don't think, like, I don't think you used to go in the jail just for chilling, just like, you know. No, it's really like you go there, and when you arrive, you felt like... What's going on? Where am I supposed to put my car? You know, there's nobody outside, you know? Maybe they, get, they will be confused. They will be, hey, he escaped or something, right? <laughs> so you, I arrived there, and uh, each member of the choir was a little bit lost, and we gathered. We, we were a little bit, like, um, shy because it's not a space of joy. You don't go to jail, like, for joy. And we were a little bit, like... Um, we were expecting things. We were not sure how, like, the prisoner will react to see people from outside come. And, you know, I don't know. So um, uh, we were there uh, during the week of the um, La Semaine du Suicide, like a societal week for people who get a societal talk. And it was a really specific week. We, we, came, we went there um, to bring those people hope, Right. So we were here in the stage, and there were people in the room. We, we had three rep representation. And at first, uh, a lot of women was like this, you know, and like, what are you going to do? Like, you, like, and we were like, okay, we're a little bit intimidated by, you know, coming in that room. And uh, we just start to sing. And most of the, the women start to cry, really cry. And at the end of the at the end of the, those representation we were talking with, we had a, a few minute 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 moment with those women, and just like to to engage. And most of them were sharing about the fact that they were living. Um, Emptiness, right? They were they were uh, desperate, and the fact that we we came, we went there to sing for them, bring them hope, hope in their own situation. Uh, some of them were there for 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 good, right? Some of them for their for like not good reason or what else? Um, no matter what was the reason, but the fact that we came here and we sung, sang for them, bring them hope. And this is a season where we're talking about hope, right? We're talking about joy and peace. And I think we all have different situations. We all go, we all go through different seasons also. And it's really important that when we, we talk about hope, to, to understand what is hope and, like, as a believer, what's hope mean for us, right? Um, and I, I do think also that we, all humans, have a thirst for hope in something, in some, you know, some, I don't know, in something, in someone, but everyone has, like, will meet um, the thirst of hope in his life for, for plusieurs fois. For, for many for many times, and this morning the the, the, the scripture that I have is a scripture that um, someone read just before, and it's really interesting how God do things. It's Micah five verse two, 
But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are small among the clowns of Judah, out of your will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And this scripture may be like, it's the first time you heard about that scripture, and it's like, what's going on? What's, what that scripture means, right? So we'll dig in a little bit in it, and just to put a little bit the context, uh, Micah, Micah is the author of the book. Micah is one of the 12 prophets of the Old Testament in the Bible, of the minor prophets, sorry. If you never heard about that minor and major, there's minor prophets and major. Major prophets and minor, the difference of them is, most of it is, the major prophets have uh, the length of their books are bigger. So Micah has seven, seven uh, chapters. Okay, so he's one of the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament in the Bible. And he prophesies, this is a prophecy, by the way, okay? He prophesies uh, between the year 735, 730, uh, 735 um, and 730 BC. And during the, reign, the reigns of different kings, okay? So King Jotam, Azaz, Ezekiah of Judah. And at that time, the kingdom of, um, of Israel was divided in two. So in the south, there were Israel, and in the north, there were Judah, right? And um, Israel was known or was marked by um, idolatry, social injustice, and oppression of the poor. And Micah came to his book to um, kind of denounce that, denounce all those uh, things. And also, because of those um, in social injustice, abuse of power, exploitation of the weak, Micah bring a mix of judgments pronounced against the sin of the people and promises also future redemption. So there's like two things that Micah, Micah bring in his book. Judgments, but also restoration, transformation. Micah through his book said that there's no restoration and transformation without judgment. Because God wants to take it off the, the evil in the midst of his people. And it's really important to, to understand. So, um, yeah, so... Um, the book announced God's judgment on Israel for its unfaithfulness, but also when I said, well, as I said, promises, restoration, and redemption, and, and faithful remain. So Micah, through his book, called the people to repentance and to return to obedience to God. And he emphasizes the importance of practicing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. So um, the verse, I want to make sure we, we keep, you stay with me, okay? We stay on that verse. And one of, one of the things that Micah said on the first part of this verse is to mention the birth, the birth of the Messiah. He talked about uh, Bethlehem Ephraim. And maybe it's mean for you nothing, but me when I when I read the, the Bible, most of the time I'm asking myself why why the the author wrote that thing? Why did he mention that? What's the importance of this and that? And it's really interesting because when I was doing my my research, I uh, I saw that there were two Bethlehem. There were Zabul, uh, Bethlehem Zabulon, and there were uh, Bethlehem Ephrata, that that small town. And it was a small town among the thousand in Judah. And that was the birthplace of the Messiah. And he was not really mentioned in the Bible. And he mentioned that to emphasize the humility and the modesty of the chosen Savior location. And the peculiarity of this prophecy is that it's announced an event that transcends human expectations. So... Um, you know, the, the advent of a savior, Jesus, was necessary for this reason, the reason that I mentioned before, corruption, authorities, the rich getting richer at the expense of the poor, 
false prophets, social injustice, idolatry, violence, and cruelty, and etc. So it was really a mess, right? And, and, and the Israel people needed someone who will come and bring back the justice, bring back the moral, bring back like the glory of that people, the people of, of God. So, um, yeah. Um, so the fact that Micah mentioned where the Messiah will come from indicated that the one who come is the opposite of the leader and the religious authority at that time. So that those, those authorities was motivated, their um, motivation was about, everything was motivated by, by the ego that had. But the savior that will come will be someone who will be humble. Someone will be the totally opposite of those authorities. So his leadership will not be motivated by brutality, wickedness, and ego. Instead, it will be characterized by gentleness, compassion, and humility. So Micah states that it was the religious leaders who were leading the people in the wrong direction. And the result of that is that the people of God was exiled. They were scattered. And, and they will be in physical, spiritual, and mental captivity, losing a lot of things, family, culture, language. And there is also character in the Bible who, who lived through that captivity, or they were like out of Israel, right? And they were living in different culture. The, the language, they were sp still speak Hebrew, but that language like diminished with the time because all the, the country was uh, in, in captivity. So captivity was God's judgment. God's judgment on two levels. So judgment for the unfaithful, but also for those who remain attached to God, the judgment will be different. It's instead of a judgment, it implies discipline. So for those who stay attached to God, God wanted to make sure that they, they have the heart to follow him, to depend on him. So they need to humble themselves. And I, I think it's something really important because we, we as a human, we have so much ego. We, I can do by myself, right? You know? So, so God wanted to make sure that the people who still love him, who still have the heart for him, will be humble, humble and give themselves fully to him day to day. Um, so, God disciplined his people so that they depend on him, leading them to humility. And this is what James 4, 6 said. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. There's another, another scripture, other scripture where the, the Bible invites us to understand that to come to God, to be Christian, to be his child, we need to be humble. We need to live in humility. We need to, to live in, in a way that we recognize that we need him. This is the, the um, there's um, Hebrew 12, verse 5 and say that, that said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't, don't give up when he correct you, corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each, of, uh, each one he accepts as his child. There's also Micah. Micah in his own book, at the end of his book, when he talked about restoration, when he, he did a calling to repentance, yeah. he, um, he talked about restoration and transformation. Here was Micah said in Micah 7, 18, 19. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remain, overlooking the sin of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever. Because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. And that's what Micah, Micah explained what Jesus, what Jesus was going to come and do for us. Right? He's going to take our sin. He's going to die for us. He's going to raise from the dead and we'll be saved. He's going to erase them and going to give us eternal life. So God disciplined for Israel. And I will say also for today as a Christian is a process of transformation and restoration through humility. 
in, in trials, right, it's in that time that we, we feel like, man, I don't have control, you know? It's at, at, at those moments that you, you learn to, okay, I'm going to do this. And like, you, oh, maybe you think about God, oh, God, oh, yeah, I forgot about you. Can you help me? <laughs> so, so through that process, God wanted to make sure that his people will live for him fully and depend on him. So um, the fact that the, can you bring back the, the verse of uh, Micah 5.2? The fact that the Micah was men, mentioned in, uh, in this verse, where the Messiah will, uh, will come from, is just to, to teach us about humility, right? So um, God loved us so much that he sent someone to deliver his people, Jesus. And that's why the, the, the theme or the theme qu'on a ce matin, it's Jesus, the, the, uh, the, the only true hope, the only hope. Because uh, there's nobody that could do what Jesus did for us. The new hope, and, and this verse here, it's a response to social, social injustice, idolatry, violence, cruelty, false prophecies. This Messiah is the only hope that Israel needed to be saved. It was the only hope that Israel needed to be saved. So, um, God wanted to bring the captives back and deliver them from the oppression of evil and their contemporaries. He wants restoration and transformation for his people on multiple levels, especially morally and spiritually. And we need to understand, as I said, um, that without God, we live in our ego. This is just like our nature, you know. And, and we need to understand that God's no better, right? Um, so a Messiah was needed at that time, and it's still needed for us today as a Christian. Or maybe if it's the first time you hear about it, we need a Savior in all his humility to rectify the lack of humility in, in leaders. And in this world, we live in, in the world of, of chaos, there's a lot of war in the, uh, in, around the world. We, we need someone. And Jesus is this hope that, we, that those people Israel was waiting for, and then we have today. So what do we learn about that first part? You know, the fact that Micah mentioned Bethlehem Ephrata. For me, I was in my car, I was like, okay, so what did what that change in my life? And one of the things that he, God made me understand is even though you are, we are um, in a small among, even though I'm in a barely large enough to be counted among others, God can leave you and me up in the situation I am or you are in. You know, that city was an insignificant city in its size and population. And, there's, there, it, and this is where the Messiah come from, came from. God chose the smallest things of the world to eclipse his, in glory his greatest things. And in bringing back, you know, that verse that I, say, I said before, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And I think also as a Christian and also for maybe for you that never heard about this, it's a call to come to him. It's a call to repentance and faith. It's a call to repentance and trust. It's to recognize that I cannot do by myself. You know better than me. And because of that, I confess and repent that I need you today, tomorrow, yesterday. I need you for every day to do your will, to walk, to walk in the way you see, God. So um, knowing that Jesus is the only hope and that he's humble, teach us how we should be to show our gratitude to him. We can place our hope in him because he's the fulfillment of the God promises. And there's two reasons I think that we should, we should keep hope. Two reasons, two good reasons. The first reason is God wants to remove and triumph over evil in the midst of his people. That is the goal of God. And the second one is 
His goal is not to destroy, but to save and redeem lives. And that's why we should continue to hope and put our hope in him. And I like to say that Jesus died once for, for our sin for good. And in Israel time, they had to do so many sacrifices to come to God, to please God, to ask pardon, to ask for forgiveness. But Jesus came once, he died once for us, to take it off our sin for good. And that's why the advent of God, of Jesus, is so important on, on this Christmas time. Because if Jesus didn't come here incarnated, if he didn't walk on this earth, was crucified, died, and, and resurrect, rise from the dead, we will still be in our sins, right? So for us, it's, it's, uh, um, it's um, incredible and it's a good thing to know that we can, we can put our hope on him because God still responds to his promises. And to my cap, to this prophecy, people of his Maybe contemporaries, they didn't understand what happened. But Jesus did. He showed up. He came. And he's still here in our heart. And he wants still to, to, to show himself for you who maybe had, um, it's been a long time you didn't came in his presence. Or maybe for you who never heard about him, he wants to invite him to give your life to him. So there's another part in the verse that really, um, that's really interesting. It's the fact that Micah mentioned where Jesus will come from, the cities. But also, it mentions something really important. And I, I want to read again the, the scripture. Um, but you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, who, uh, uh, for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origin are from of old, from ancient times. And the, the second part of like, what is ancient time? What, what does that part mean, right? And I, I really, I wanna make a stop on what is a Messiah? What does Messiah mean, right? Uh, the term Messiah has its origin in, in Judaism, um, literally means I noted, someone who's chosen, right? Um, uh, the Messiah is an, an, an await being, a messenger of God, who must fulfill certain prophecies and restore the people of Israel. So this is the this is that's, that's mean Messiah, okay? This is the definition of, of Messiah. So, um, you know, the, the part of when it, it, Micah talked about the days of eternity, um, the significance of the eternal origin of the Messiah going back to ancient times. That suggests his divine nature. Jesus is not only 100% human, but also 100% God. And the unique pre-existing nature of the Savior announced by Micah emphasizes, uh, emphasizes how it's aligned with other messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. This is what Isaiah 7, 14 said. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So Jesus Christ is the incarnate son of God, having existed eternally with God, the Father, before taking a human form. Thus, the expression, this is an expression from this expression, from the days of eternity is interpreted as indicating the internal preexistence of Jesus as the member of the Trinity. So, it's, what Mike has said, it's explained to us through this expression what kind of Savior we're looking for or we're waiting for. What kind of Savior Israel, Israel we're waiting for. He's not just a man. He is a man, but he's also God. And we needed God because nobody and anything around could take it of our sin. I say early, Jesus came once. He came once to, to die once and, and rise from the dead once to take it of our sin once. So just like put the emphasis of what kind of savior we needed for our sin to bring back justice, to bring back social uh, justice. So, um, 
yeah, there's a, an, a, another um, scripture that we could choose. But um, as I said, if Christ had not incarnated, had not incarnated, died and resurrected, we, we would still be in our sins. So an effective sacrifice for our sins was needed and only Christ was the solution. Only the one who is holy can approach what is right, holy, blameless, God. And that's Jesus. Uh, Charlie pre preached, uh, 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 I think, it's, I'm not sure it was last week or two weeks ago, he preached the fact that you know, there was a curtain, the curtain in, um, um, there was a curtain that was, um, brick up from the bottom. And this curtain was mean that now we got access to God. And only Jesus that could do that for us. So I think that the fact that we know that, you know, uh, this Messiah uh, from a, a humble city, right, is supposed to bring us um, humility. But also, the fact that we know that he's 100% God and nobody can stop him, he saved us for those who want to follow him, who to accept his love. We can put our trust in his nature, his nature of God. We can put our trust and hope in eternal life that he promises for his children. We can also, um, I think, change or have another view on the perspective on, on trials. Because sometimes when we live in trials, sometimes it's hard to put our trust in him, right? It's hard to, you know, what's going on, God? Where, where, where are you? We can put our trust in him because of his nature. He's God, and he loves us. So um, the advent of Jesus was necessary for our salvation, for us to be able even to do the will of God. God has told us what he expects from us, and we are incapable of applying it. This is what Micah said about people. He said, you were supposed to do this, 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 and, and you were not able to apply it. And even today, uh, today we cannot, as a people, as a Christian, do it without God. This is what he said in Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And my conviction, my conviction of sin, as a believer, understand that the law of Moses cannot enable one to approach God. The work of his grace in our hearts, in my heart, is required to do what is right, love kindness, walk humbly without him. With him, sorry. So the intervention of Jesus was necessary, the only hope, the only true hope. We have been able to, and, and God will be to also always be um, uh, open. We got access to him to come to him and to hope in him. The incarnation of, and birth of Jesus during this holy season represent the fulfillment of this prophecy bringing the long-awaited hope and redemption for all who will hear the good news. And this good news is the love of Jesus for all who will believe in him. It is essential to recognize that we are not as good as we think, acknowledge our states of sinfulness, and realize that we need a savior to deliver us from sin, from evil and the morality contrary of his, to his will. Let's pray. God, thank you, for, um, thank you for the fact that you died for us. Thank you for the fact that we, we can just recognize that we, we were lost, we, we were condemned, and our condemnation was the dead. And because you love us, you send the only true hope, Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you for the fact that he came. You, God, you came on this hurt. You take our sin on the cross. You give us eternal life. And we want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate and mark that time. 
More that time than the fact that you came on this earth for us. God, thank you because sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to, um, it's hard to live with discipline. It's hard to um, accept that you want to you want to discipline us. But this is for our good. Thank you, Jesus. God, we pray that we we can every day today give our life to you and a kind of like a, a renew like. Um, uh, renouveler um, not our allegiance to you, to serve you. God, we pray that you can this morning touch the hearts. I pray everything in your name. Amen. All right, friends. <clears throat> If this is your first time here, this is a portion of the service where if anyone has a question of things that you've heard uh, today or perhaps something that's part of our series or once in a while we have questions that are totally just random, which is okay also, uh, um, raise your hand if you're in the room. Otherwise, if you are in the room and you prefer to be anonymous, you can also text the question. Um, so, anything, is there anything in the room? There is. All right. Hi. Great sermon, Jeff Tay. Loved it. I actually had that reading at a Christmas carol event at St. George's Friday night, where that was my reading from Micah, and uh, it's just powerful. Uh, my question was, and I'm not sure because I'm not a theologian, uh, in the exodus from Egypt, it was 400 years uh, <laughs> that they were slaves. And uh, some reading some time ago I had was that Micah may have been the last minor prophet and that there were no more messages from God for 400 years until Jesus came. And uh, it seems that uh, there's a a new exodus that uh, that signifies uh, that silence for 400 years and then our Messiah coming and bringing a new exodus, an exodus out of sin and captivity uh, for us. Can you comment on that or am I wrong to, in terms of my uh, historicity? Can I? <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not sure I understand well the question, but um, I, I want to make a difference of the, the, the two captivity. Um, so the first one in Exodus, we talk about a family, you know, Jacob, Joseph, they went there and they spent many time, many years there, and their people grow in this, in this, uh, this country. And when they became slaves, um, God promises to... Uh, bring them back home, you know, to give, you, give them a land and save them. And, and I think this was more something, a politic way, they get saved. It, they were also spiritually, right? God wanted to make sure that they, they, they went there to serve him, you know, and, and do his will. And, but in that part in Exodus, I think it was more something political. I, I want to jump now on the Micah one. It, there's a part of political, but I think that was more spiritually. That's more, more moral. You want to make sure that when those people will come back in Jerusalem, they will follow him, um, 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 follow him for real and in his will. So when Jesus came uh, in, his, in their time, they thought that the Savior will be someone who will, a, a king as they known before, right? And it's really important because in the Bible, I'm going to go back, sorry for that. Israel people wanted a king. Before, they, they, there was a time they, they had a king. And they asked God, okay, we want a king as the other, other people, other country. And God said, don't do this. Don't do this because, you know what, if you have a king as the other, other country, your king will do the same thing of the other country. It will take your, your daughter, it will send your, your, your boys to, to war, it, it will, you know. Um, so when we, we go back to Micah, those people thought, when they were in captivity, 
the town that the savior will be someone more political way. But Jesus was talking, um, God was talking more about something spiritual where really they will leave uh, the law of Moses fully in their heart. And this, this that's what's passing by Jesus. Does it make sense? So this was, I don't want to ask this the, the question, but yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, the, um, I think uh, it's possible um, you might have mixed up uh, Micah and Malachi. Uh, Malachi was actually the last of the minor prophets. It was about 400 years before Jesus. Uh, and that was after the things that Micah prophesied would take place. Uh, but you're absolutely right that the, the exodus that is in the Old Testament is such a clear illustration of what Jesus and the Christian life is. Um, and I feel like I've talked about that a lot, so I won't get into it right now, other than to say the whole aspect of being called out of slavery and then called into the promised land, but between slavery and the promised land lies the wilderness. You have to walk through the wilderness to get to the promised land. And Jeff Day mentioned in his sermon the difference between God's judgment on non-believers and God's judgment, if you want to call it that, which is actually discipline on believers. And for believers, when we suffer hardship, um, the, the passage in Hebrews talks about this. We, we are to count it as God's discipline, as in he's shaping our character to prepare us for the promised land. The wilderness is a time of testing, a time of hardship. Although, um, just like Moses came and led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, through the Red Sea, through the water, we have begun our Christian life with baptism, which is a it symbolizes the same idea of being cleansed, but we're not yet in the promised land, are we? Uh, we do have, uh, there I go, I'm talking about this longer than I planned on, but I'll wrap it up. Uh, we do have, and this is, this is huge, we, have been, we did a series on the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. God has not left us alone. He didn't, send, he didn't send Jesus and then say, okay, well, I'll see you later. I'll see you after you die, or I'll see you when Jesus comes back. He didn't just leave us. As we are in the wilderness, just as it was for the people of old, he gave them manna each day, each day to sustain them. And for us, when we come to him, as Jeff Day was talking about with humility, that attitude that says, I need you. When we start our day with, I need you. When we walk through life with, I need you. Help me, help me. God is faithful and he answers that prayer. And he gives manna, his presence, his spirit. Um, he gives it to who? To the humble, to those who ask. To those who walk through life just doing their own thing. God sometimes just says, okay, it looks like you got this. <laughs> I'm going to stay out of this. But for those who are humble, um, just like the people in old, we receive manna strengthening during, the, during this time of the wilderness as we wait for um, the time of entering the promised land. Sorry, I know I said I wasn't going to do that, but I did it. <laughs> okay, who else in the room has que questions? Is that over there? I think I see something. Yep, Adel. Uh-oh. Be ready to cut the mic. <laughs> oh, 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 here first. Okay, sorry. Hold on, Adam. We'll get to you. It's a lot of excitement over Maybe. Russia. Okay. Unless we can orchestrate this where we run out of time. I'm just so, kidding. Um, I have an acquaintance that I've developed, a, I would say, a pretty good relationship with. And, and recently, he has, well, he has a very different religious background than we do. Uh, and so recently he was explaining in great detail how Jesus was just amongst those prophets and not the Son of God. So I was wondering, how, how would you respond to that in a conversation? Uh, Jesus, some people think Jesus was one of the prophets of the Bible and not something special like the Son of God or, or maybe like Messiah means something else to... to to people such as that. I suspect that you're probably referring, your friend, is he uh, Muslim perhaps? 
Yep, yep. For, for those that don't know, um, Muslims believe that Jesus was one of the prophets, but not the incarnate Son of God. It's a good one. They're giving you tough ones today. I'm just going to stand out of the way and let you... You got it. Um, we, we, we could go in different direction, you know. We could go in the fact that... Um, you had it on the screen, remember? On the screen? You had it on the screen today. My answer? Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's, okay, there was a lot of prophecy in the Bible that announced someone who will come and save his people. And I think also when Jesus came, there was a lot of question about him. And I think it's John 8, when he were um, in the front of the authorities of Pharisees. And they were asking like, who are you and where you've come from? And uh, you, do you think like you are son of God, something like this? And Jesus said, yeah, yeah, you know. I, I, I do think like Jesus like didn't uh, hide himself to say that he was the son of God. But also we can take also, um, um, yeah, I think Charles, I will let, I will let you go. <laughs> I, I need more thing to think about it. Oh, you did a lot today. You did a lot today. But to your credit, you, you did answer. It was on the screen. The the uh, the one whose origin is of ancient days. Yeah. Like uh, this Jesus was not just one of the prophets who would later come and later be born. It was kind of like no, he has existed. His origin is not, you know, the year zero A.D. His origin. Um, I mean, it, of ancient of days, it, it's talking about eternity. It's not saying that Jesus was created back then. Um, and the origin the, of, of the promise is old. There's a million passages you could go to. And Jesus, when he was confronted uh, with the, um, he was arguing with the Pharisees, uh, he said to them, hey, you know this passage that you know is talking about the Messiah? Because Muslims actually do believe that Jesus was the Messiah, quote-unquote, but it means something different than it does to Christians. Um, it, mean, it doesn't mean that he is the Savior to save us from our sins. Um, it, it just means he is the anointed one. And again, it means something else. But when Jesus was, was debating with, with people, um, he quoted a certain passage and he said that da where David says, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, and he's saying, who is that person, <laughs> that King David? There's someone above David. How could anyone be above David? And um, how could David know about a Lord who is, who is yet to come if, if, the, if Jesus is just born later? There's a, a million passages you could go to that... Yeah. that Speak about this. He said that I was before Abraham, you know. That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Before Abraham was, I am. And then that's when they were like, okay, kill this guy. Yeah, they became, <laughs> they became crazy. Right, right. I mean, speaking of his eternal nature, before Abraham was, I am, I am being the name of God of, of eternity. There's, there's a lot, a lot of places you can go for this. Um, all right, Adam, let's do it. Oh, the pressure. Um, I'm fascinated by uh, looking at the balance between ego, humility, pride, and identity. So my question is, um, how do we identify when we've crossed the line from a healthy awareness of our identity in Christ to having our ego speak on behalf of Christ. Oh, how do you know when you're walking in humility or when you're walking in pride? Foo, that's a good one. Because <laughs> there's false humility, right? Yeah. And, then, uh, and then in today's age, we teach children how to have self-confidence. It's like you can be whatever you want and everything you want. And yet, you know, how do you know the difference? When have you crossed the line? I think there's, a, there's some guideline in the Bible um, about humility. Um, there's a scripture that said that um, the, the first will be last, the last will be first. And 
about humility and we see the, the, the witness, the testimony of Jesus, it's all about serving people. It's about um, also the fruit of the spirit, I could say, you know. So I think like um, you, one of the guidelines I think is the fruit of the spirit. So in your life, you, you need to see those fruit really um, appear. And when ego show up, most of the time, they are opposite. But so I don't know how to say that, but ça va juste être le contraire um, de l'humilité, you know. Um, this is really my answer. I think it's a, a great question, and, the, and asking that question is really key in the sense of if you're walking through life as a Christian and you're just kind of assuming that you're walking in humility, um, especially when times stir up passions and sometimes anger and not all anger is bad, but things like that, if you don't have that like radar of like, uh-oh, is this pride speaking right now? I think that's where you're going to get in trouble, where a huge aspect of humility is that um, posture before God where you just say, Lord, search my heart. I'm not sure what's going on here. Uh, Lord, uh, um, you, you're, you're constantly inviting God to test your thoughts. You're inviting God, um, know, knowing that you need him, knowing that left to your own devices, you're going to fall to pride. The danger with pride is that it's blinding. That's why asking this question is so very important. Because if you're not asking this question, there's a good chance that you're going to be blinded. Um, okay, this is our last question. <laughs> no, no. Okay, I came through the text line, and I did say that random questions are fine. And this is a question that's on a lot of people's mind. Um, what should our view be concerning uh, Israel and the Palestinians? I have a pastor that strongly condemned Israel and others to Palestinians and others considered both are wrong. Okay. <laughs> Jeff, uh, you got, you got I, some I will this? be careful with that. Huh? I will be, oh, I'm going to give him my answer of that. Oh, wow, okay. Um, I, I do think like at the end of the day, we are human and I'm not here to judge or to take, you know, a part of who's right or not. And, um, and, and, and we, we, we got that war, but also there's another war, right? That's um, still in, like, since two years ago, Russia and, uh, and uh, Ukraine, you know? But at the end of the day, for me, I think it's all you made in God, you know? And we all need him as a savior because we're sinful, right? So, um, and we do bad things. So, yeah. So will be my, my answer. Um, okay. I'm going to summarize a really complex question, and Lord, help me. Um, I realize this has been on a lot of people's minds, and as Jeff Day was talking today about, um, I don't remember exactly what you said, but it got me thinking about just this desire for a king, um, this desire for a good king, a good leader. There was these corrupt leaders and there's this prophecy that a good leader would come. And we have this desire for a political hope. And it's not bad. It's not a bad desire for a nation, a king, to lead and live in righteousness and justice. Um, and that's going to be a big topic for Christmas Eve, I can tell you in advance. But... So with that being said, the question, Israel-Palestine Palestine today. One thing I, I said before when this was brought up, we're called to, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And a Christian is called to be empathetic. If you can hear stories of people being kidnapped and murdered and not feel a sense of empathy and, and frustration, you're supposed to feel those things. On the... Um, if you can hear stories of someone's house getting bulldozed and taken in the name of some sort of religious something and not feel like that's wrong also, well, there's something wrong with your Christianity in the sense of you can hear stories coming from both sides of this war and you can feel like that's wrong, that's wrong. But the bigger question is who's right? Who's right? 
Well, here's what we know what the Bible seems to say. God does have a special plan for ethnic Israel, for the physical descendants of Abraham. I see that in the Old Testament. I see that in the New Testament. Romans 9 through 11, maybe 9 through 12. It's a very hard read, I'll tell you in advance. But God does have a plan for the ethnic children of Abraham, meaning the nation of Israel as we see it. Um, the way that I seem to read um, is that there's going to be one day a great revival, meaning the people of Israel will accept Jesus as their king. And in that day, there will be, um, well, the scriptures seem to say, it seems to point to, seems to hint to, that will be one of the last things that happens before Jesus returns. But it, it is hard to interpret. What it says is, uh, um, if they're, actually, you know what? I don't have time to get into it. But, but this is, so this is, this is the point. This is the point. God does seem to have a plan for the ethnic descendants of Abraham, meaning the nation of Israel. But, and this is also important, but that doesn't mean that they're always the good guys. Because when God told them, when they were coming into the land, God said, hey, I'm giving you this land. Don't let it go to your head. It's not because you're more righteous than them. <laughs> okay? So if we, as Christians, we can look at what's going on politically and we can know God has a plan for the people of Israel and we can pray for that, but that doesn't mean we look at the war and say, well, they're always the good guys. Okay, does that make sense? Um, because we know that God's heart is bigger than ethnic Israel. His plan for ethnic Israel was a plan for the whole world. You will be a blessing for the whole world. Um, so he does have a plan for them. He's working out his plan. But um, as Christians, I really don't think that we're supposed to take a tribal side. And we're certainly not supposed to say, well, those guys are right and those guys are wrong. Because it's, it's never that simple. Um, there, there's, it's, that's the way I see it anyways. I, I also just want to lay the caveat. Um, when it comes to politics, Christians can disagree. Okay? That's just how it is. Christians can, can see things in different points of view and then come to different conclusions and that's okay. Um, my oh my, if we can't be a church with different viewpoints on things like political matters, then we're going to be a pretty small, narrow-minded church where we just have to have empathy and compassion and <clears throat> I care about our relationship more than I care about um, being right about this political viewpoint. So there you go. It's a longer answer than I planned. Um, Jeff Day, thank you. Um, I'm going to just say a prayer before we... We, we end in worship.